Hello and welcome back. Today is all about how it felt to grow and own a wine bar in Brooklyn. Bill, hello, good to have you again. Hello, Manu. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm very fine. How are you? I'm great. Just came back from a short little mini vacation with some friends. Nice. And, so uh, nice that it's, that it's possible to do such things again. Exactly. I was yeah. over the moon. Nice. Over the I'm very moon. looking forward to do something of this myself in the future. Um, but in the meantime, I'm very looking forward to hear what you've brought today. Okay, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and, and get busy here. <laughs> okay, no need for sleeves because it's very hard for me, but go on. Well, I'm wearing a t-shirt, so. Yeah, um, no. uh, there, there's an expression in journalistic reporting uh, that is, sometimes happens. It's called burying the lead. And what essentially that is, um, is that the main point of a story as it's being reported or told, is lost among less important facts. So that sometimes happens. And in some respects, with the last podcast, I might have buried at least one of the leads. And I had mentioned that with my back difficulties, and the reason that I mentioned them in the first place is that at some point in that last year when I was so immobilized. I made a promise to myself that I would get busy with life and find an, a project that I could become 100% committed to. Uh, so that's why I, I brought the whole back difficulties up in the last podcast. I didn't know at that point what shape or form that project would entail. But I do remember lying in bed uh, during my darkest hour in the middle of the night trying to get some help, calling out to the universe in some way <laughs> for relief. And um, I was raised Catholic growing up, and uh, it was not a great experience for me. And I've always referred to myself as a recovering Catholic, or a, or a Catholic in recovery. Um, I never learned how to or, 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 or pursued meditation, something that I would like to do now. So I didn't really have a system uh, for contacting uh, the universe or God or whatever it might be to get this kind of relief. And I was just, I was wondering with you, Manu, that if you look back at your life, those difficult times where you feel completely and utterly stuck, uh, it could be a physical ailment or it could be something else in life something that creates a lot of anxiety and discomfort in you. What, what do you do? Ooh, tough question. Fortunately, I didn't have any bigger physical things to deal with, um, but I surely know what you're talking about. And I, in some way, I, I can rely to like reaching out to 
something which is unknown. Some people call it God, you call it the universe or whatever. I would rather refer to the universe in this point. But like to to come to a point where you where you call out to something. Um, but for me, it has nothing to do with with like expecting a, a an answer or something. But only the matter of fact that you realize uh, what you deal with right now and realize it for yourself by reaching out and by reflect try to, trying to reflect it with with something else because clearly at this point when you come to such a such a place or such a point uh, you're in this moment you're not or, or I am not capable of dealing with it myself uh, even if I have to um, so like reaching out to something um, to find a different perspective on how you feel right now uh, always like help me to ease things up and to see um, like from a meta perspective, mm -hmm. what's really happening and not focusing too much on this actual one problem. Uh, because, I mean, you, you, for me it is like when I have something bad going on, um, I tend to get stuck on it and I tend to give it way too much attention that it actually needed. Mm -hmm. um, and I need, to, I, I need to find a way to, to um, remind myself of what, I, what else I have going on. And like forcing yourself on some sort of different perspective um, by reaching out for example to something like the universe or someone else um, kind of helps me to relax and ease down and see what I have really going on mm -hmm. and see realize how little this problem could be or could not be um, so if this answers your question <laughs> yeah no it does I think everybody has their own their own system for that yeah but I, I relate uh, 100% to your method um, <laughs> what one of the things this has been a first-person narrative, these podcasts. And what has happened as a result which is that there's a lot of I, I, I. I did this, I did that, I thought this, I thought that. And I want to remind our listeners, those that have been with us from the very, very beginning, this is really a story. They're not my stories completely. They're Rose and R stories uh carving out a life together uh, yeah and we've been together every step of the way uh not only in high school when we fell in love and the two years uh hoping and pleading and and uh praying to the universe that she would come back um since 1973 we've been partners partners in life and and crimes and misdemeanors, I'm sure. Um, and that was the case of Stonehome starting a restaurant together. And I said in the last podcast that I, with a first person narrative, had never worked in a restaurant before. Uh, this is true. But as we recall, Rose had experience working in a, a restaurant, um, uh, two or three, uh, to, to, to be exact. So she came to the party with actual experience. Mm. I did not. And in some respects, had I uh, logged a few years uh, as a bartender or a server in a restaurant, I may, may not have been as excited to do this project. 
the project was all about setting up a business in our beloved neighborhood of Fort Greene. And we scoured all kinds of places and we ended up finding what we thought was a suitable location. Geographically, it was in a great place. Um, it had, looking back on it, uh, some real difficulties with the just infrastructure. The kitchen was in the basement. It was almost, uh, it wasn't a brownstone, but it was a resident. There were residences above us, two or three condos above us. And you had to walk a few steps down into uh, the restaurant. This was a blank, blank space. Um, so for anybody uh, out there that is tempted to start a, a restaurant, we made a few rookie mistakes. Um, you, if you want to embark upon that career, I highly recommend that you take over a former restaurant spot. Um, you don't have to pay for all of the electric and plumbing and you can inherit some the, the ovens and stoves and uh, all of all of those things and if you have deep enough pockets of course always if you can own the space uh, yeah because the landlord towards the end of the lease if it, and uh, the real rub on this is that if you are really successful they will raise your rent through the roof because they know that you can pay for it. So uh, a word a word to the wise. So we built the space out. We spent a lot of money um, and we inherited the landlord's crew. Uh, he was in the construction business and uh, that was a problem because they didn't do that great at work. Mm. Uh, that's for sure. So we got our staff assembled. I was buying wine like crazy. Um, the idea was to have the wine bar and the food was kind of an afterthought. It was going to be one of those typical uh, wine bar models, which is basically cheese and charcuteries and some paninis and salads and whatnot. Um, it could seat about 55 people indoors and another 20 outdoors. Uh, but the, the signature area was this bar that could seat 21 or 22 people, I believe. So it was a very long wooden bar. And at the very end of it was what we called the head of the bar. It was a big circular um, piece that was still attached to the, to, the, to, to the bar where seven or eight people could sit around it. So they were at the bar, but it was like they're at the table. Okay, yeah. so, um, so what happens when you open up a restaurant and you have no experience and you are hiring bartenders and bussers and servers that have experience? Um, they have no respect for you is what happens. <laughs> and uh, it's pretty easy to read. Um, 
getting all kinds of pointers, what you need to do this, you need to do that. Uh, if you ask them to do something, it was rolling their eyes back into their head and shaking their head and muttering something under their, under the breath and all, all that kind of stuff. So, but despite that, we, we, we carried on. And one of the more ambitious parts of this was I wanted to offer a whole array of different wines by the glass. And believe it or not, we had 40. 40 different wines you could order by the glass. Um, some of them you would put into a flight of three different wines that related either geographically or by style and uh, the, the whole bit. Now, our neighborhood changed a lot over the, over the years, but when we opened, we were a little bit too ahead of the curve. Uh, people didn't at first know what to make of this place. And the fact that you had to walk down into it off of the sidewalk, uh, we didn't have great signage. People could just walk by and not see you. So it was really, really rough going uh, in the beginning. Um, on a Friday or Saturday night, you'd sit out there, sit in the bar and look out the window at six o'clock and every, you know, five minutes you'd see five or six people walk by. Yeah, it would, it just, there was not a lot of foot traffic, but things slowly, slowly, slowly began to catch on by word of mouth. And we had been open about, I don't know, maybe three weeks or so. And we get a group of just gorgeous women that come into the bar and they want to sit at the head of the bar. And this was perfect because, um, you know, oftentimes when you walk by a restaurant and you look in and nobody's there, you don't want to go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so if you can get a group of attractive people, especially women to sit at this head of the bar, that's the most visible part. It was great. And this was like three weeks into running this, so you, you can, it'll it can tell you um, how slow we were that I was actually really excited for this to happen. So they sit down, they order uh, glasses of wine and a couple of charcuterie and cheese plates, and they're having a nice. It, lively conversation and then walks this gentleman who knew me from the board of education and I, I, I can't say that I remembered him but he knew who I was and he sat at the bar he orders a, a glass of wine and, and he starts making these connections uh, you knew such and such and you knew this, this guy and um, you know, so I'm looking around and we have a, a bar back, uh, that had been with us, you know, from the beginning now we're into like three weeks of running the bar. And he, he was a, um, really attractive guy who knew a lot about music and he was a real, uh, fashion guy as well. He'd come in looking great and sometimes kind of 
oddly dressed, but to, today he was wearing, it almost looked like uh, part of the top was a sailor suit uh, <laughs> in a way, like a, guy, a sailor on a boat and with these bell-bottom pants and stuff. And he could pull it off, right? Um, well, I began talking with this gentleman and I could see that he was kind of swaying in his chair a bit and he really hadn't even had a full glass of wine but I'm, I'm concerned uh, he, that he's already drunk or something and he gets up from the bar stool and he starts to stagger a little bit and he gets toward the head of the bar where these gorgeous women are engaged in this lively conversation and he grabs the bar and just begins vomiting. No. Just like, it was like a fire hose. It was, and these women <laughs> jumped up from their tables, just jumped up and luckily did not did not get hit by it, but it was covering the whole bar. And we had two, da- two tables in the bar where customers we're halfway through their cheese plates and glasses of wine, and they just get up and they just go, we're, we're out of here, we're out of here, we're out of here. And so then I called the bar back, you know, to get a mop. He gets this big mop, and there he is in his sailor suit, <laughs> mopping, mopping the deck, mopping the floor, mopping the floor, so in the span of 45 seconds, we went from 15 people in a restaurant to nobody. Mm. I guess one of the occupational hazards of running a restaurant. What, what I, I was very concerned about this gentleman, though. So I got him outside and uh, on the stoop, and I, I still felt that he was not well. So I, I, I called... Uh, called an ambulance and they picked him up and uh, apparently uh, I saw him a few days later and he thanked me profusely for for attending to him and getting him to a hospital um, he had been fasting uh, it must have been over I think Ramadan or something and he had just broken his fast and and had had one glass of wine and he was diabetic and so he oh. was what 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 is what was happening is he was going into a diabetic coma, um, and so uh, I guess you know getting to the hospital was a was a good good thing was a really really good thing. So he was not drunk. Yeah, I mean, I mean the wine threw him over, but I, I you know uh, those I've seen people go into these diabetic comas and uh, or, or moving towards that direction, and they do they slur. They stagger. It appears like they're they're drunk, you know. Yeah. And obviously, you can die, you know. I mean, Crazy. It's, very, it's it's very very dangerous. So we ran Stone Home for I don't know fourteen years. The first two years, we made no money. In fact, we lost money um 
it wasn't a huge amount that we lost, but we were depending on that as, an, as income coming in. So if you're not making income and in fact losing a bit, it was ver very scary. And then into year three and four, um, things started, uh, you know, picking up a bit. Uh, really relentless work. Uh, and you never appear to get kind of a, a break. And there's a lot of things that are stacked against you. We, I'm all about health departments looking at restaurants and bars because it's, it, uh, as consumers, you need to be protected from that. But in New York, uh, when Bloomberg became mayor uh, after Giuliani, uh, he utilized, I felt, fines that were levied against restaurants and bars as a way to generate income. And you'd have these health inspectors come in. And it was terrifying because it was really arbitrary sometimes what they were looking for. And you knew that they wanted to generate enough fines so that they wouldn't close you down Mm. but enough so that they could make a lot of money. And once you saw one of these inspectors come in, you buzz the kitchen, you try to keep them upstairs because if there was anything in the kitchen that needed to be addressed, they wanted to take care of all of that. And it was always problematic for me because I'd get so angry at these guys coming in. Because I knew what they were, what they were up to. You could have cleaned your ice machine, for example, two hours before they came in, taken all the ice out, gotten everything perfectly scored away, and they'd go back in there with this like foot-long Q-tip, and they'd go way up into the machine somewhere. They would never come into contact with the ice, and they'd spin it around in a, a little black mold came up on it, uh, yeah. you're fined. So I always had to not only manage my um, anxiety, but my, but my anger. And uh, there was one inspector that came in once, and it was the middle of the summer. It was very hot. So, of course, we had all of our, our, our windows closed and the air conditioning going. And he opened up the door and kept it open. And I watched like four or five flies come in, come into the restaurant. And he sits down and he sees these flies and he goes, up, oh, there's one fly, $100 there. There's another fly, $100 there. <clears throat> I ended up saying, you know, you're the one that let them in. If you hadn't been standing with the door open, I watched these four flies coming in. It's going, well, that's, they're, they're in here now. They're in here now. And uh, they'd do their reports, and, and then they'd have their little computer, and they'd sit at the end of the bar and start writing it up. And this, I, this, this one in particular, I could tell he was writing a long, long, long time. So I knew that he was going to find us a whole bunch of money for very extraneous stuff. And at one point, we had a, a bunch of regulars that were at the bar. 
And uh, I look at this health inspector and he's got a cap on his head while he's riding. And I said, turned to him, I said, hey, 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 buddy, um, take your cap off. I don't, we don't, we don't allow gentlemen to wear their caps in, a, in our, in our restaurant. And he kind of looks at me like, really, you're telling me that? And I said, yeah, I am telling you that. And then I look down the bar and there's Freddie, there's Matt, there's Jason. They've all got their caps on and I'm, I'm going, take them off, take them off, take them off. And they're just kind of laughing uh, over the whole thing. It, it, what, what happened then is that whenever the health department would come in and, and if I was at home and I lived, you know, we lived five minutes, a five minute walk, the, the shift manager, bartender, shift manager wouldn't even call me because they felt like I wasn't, yeah. I was not really yeah. a good guy, <laughs> a good guy to be there uh, by any means. But so we, we lumbered along and each year got a little bit better. And around the end of 2007, at that point, we had gone uh, through th three different chefs. And right around that time, maybe a few years earlier, 2006 or something, A guy comes in and applies for the job of chef. And the person that was currently our chef was going to go away on vacation for a couple of days, uh, for a couple of weeks. And this new guy, John, comes in and takes over uh, the kitchen while she's on, on vacation. And you know, normally we'd, uh, with any chef, if they had a special that they wanted to put on, we'd, Rose and I would sample it, some of the staff would as well, to get an idea of whether we liked it. And John, within a couple of days, comes up with a, a few specials that were like ridiculously good. Mm -hmm. And so good that we just basically said, you don't need to test us on any of this stuff. Um, the former chef came back from their vacation and John had done such an amazing job of putting on new food items that I explained to the former chef that they're, we want them at, at Stone Home. Um, we will not cut your pay, but you're going to be working next to John underneath him. He's going to be the head chef. And they, they decided after a week or two that that, that wasn't going to work. But what that did is it really launched us. It, um, it allowed us to, 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 um, to get a clientele that would come in and they'd order dinners, appetizers, dinners. We were beyond the cheeses and charcuteries. We kept plates. We kept those on. But, um, and people would linger and spend a lot more money. And at one point, um, we at this point we had we didn't have a reservation system like Open Table or 
I don't know what they have in, 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 in Stuttgart where it's a computerized thing where people call in and you get your, your, your reservation all scored away. We were really just basically dealing with an answering machine. You come in and you would retrieve the yeah. messages and call them back. Um, and that's where we were at at this point in time. And I get this call, uh, early in the morning, I'm downstairs doing inventory or some, some sort of thing. And it's a fact checker from, uh, the New Yorker magazine. And the New Yorker magazine is, a, is the real deal. It's one of the, one of the better magazines that, that, uh, that come out. It's just not for New Yorkers, people all over the country subscribe yeah. to it because it tells you exactly what's what's going on in in in, in the epicenter of of, uh, of new york city and they wanted to know a little bit more about stone home the owners uh, some of the dishes how many bottles are on the list etc cetera, etc cetera. and i said i'm so intrigued or is something coming out and they said well it looks like there's going to be a little article on you. I am just like completely thrilled. And as it turned out, they have a section in that magazine called Table for Two. And it's a, it's a very short little piece uh, that is included in, in, in every edition that comes out. Maybe just you know, 200 words or something. And by God, we ended up, Stone Home Wine Bar ended up in the table for two section. This woman, Andrea Thompson, gave us an incredible review uh, on the food and on the wine. And what happened shortly after that article came, came out, I, I get to the wine bar and there are 40 messages on our answering machine. <laughs> this is the, this is uh Probably this. I think this is December 2007, and people were calling, wondering if they could possibly get a reservation for four, April 15th. You know, four <laughs> four months down the road, and uh, it was so wild. And we got a huge, huge boost from that. It didn't last forever, but over the next um, certainly month. We were really, really, really packed. And um, that's a wonderful thing because you get these new customers and then they tell their friends and, and, it, yeah. uh, and, it, and it builds on that. Um, it was short-lived because, uh, if you recall, right in 2008, that's where... That was a time when the housing loan crisis hit. The yeah. main recession slash depression uh, hit, and the stock market crashed, and people were losing their jobs, and it was just horrible. So we were building to a point where we were carving out a really, really good income. And that really, that made a huge difference uh, for us. And in fact, 
we had momentum into 2008, and we never our, our sales never caught up. Uh, we we that was our best our best year. It just didn't um, it just didn't pan out. I mean, there's a lot of people that lost um, a lot. So I'm not uh, trying to suggest that uh, the loss in making more money was as devastating as people have um, lost their homes and were homeless and living in, yeah. in, in, in a really bad way. Um, so I look at Stonehome and all of the training that I did, um, Rose at that time too had just was working the front of the house and working, um, dealing with all of the infrastructure problems when they came up because she was uh, so handy at figuring stuff out. And, you know, it, living under a couple of apartment buildings, it was not uncommon for somebody to leave their bath water on and you know, on a Friday night, water would be streaming down into the banquettes and you'd have to close and all, all this kind of stuff. But I look at, I look at that stuff staff that worked for us for all of those years and you know going into it it was really about you know, carving out a really great living but the legacy as it turns out with Stonehome were the relationships that were were really built it's uh, unless you've done this or been part of it Restaurants are an extended family. Mm. They, the, 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 the staff themselves, they became such great friends. It opened up a whole social uh, um, network for them. And they are, are terrific friends. Um, Rose and I, as the owners, um, we, while we were not spending much time going out after hours and having drinks and that kind of stuff, we became very, very close. And um, a lot of the staff have gone on to do just incredible things. Uh, not some in wine. Um, uh, we had two women that were working on a a screenplay while they were hosting at, at, at Stonehome or bar backing. And it was picked up by Khan and it was released and did well. And one of them is now producing and directing movies that are on Netflix. And it goes on and on and on. Um, with our chef, John, we enjoyed just a beautiful 10 year, uh, working relationship and uh, have become uh, such close friends with him and his wife and his his his, uh, his beautiful son. They stayed with us for three months during COVID. Um, not too bad having a, a beautiful family and a wonderful chef uh, living in your midst. Um, it takes a lot of pressure off. Uh, so, you know, sometimes what you, 
what you think you're going to get out of an experience is completely different than what actually does happen. And if I go back to this desire of being, wanting to be a part of a community, having some impact uh, there, that really played out. But what I had no idea on any shape or form was uh, how bonded and close I feel to many of the people that you know pass pass through. Mm-hmm. So um, we made it. We made it through. And very typical story that plays out. I think not only in New York City but probably all over the world. Our our success there was in some respects kind of a a downfall because typically, as is typical, the landlord, uh, I'm sure, wanted to increase the rent. We did renew the lease, but we decided, you know, let's not uh, let's not sink more money into this place because the infrastructure was shot, and and we just folded up our tent and uh, decided you know, decided to move on, and. Um, that is the story of Stonehome. We um, left Brooklyn. That was a tough, a tough one, but we decided we wanted some uh, country air, yeah. and our 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 border collie uh, Hendrix um, was quite smitten with the idea that we decided to pull up stakes from Brooklyn, where he could. I can be see a, why be a proper border collie and chase deers and coyotes <laughs> and foxes off our off of our property cool uh, i mean this answers my question um if stone home still exists under uh if you sold it or if you gave it away or if you just closed it so it's closed now yes a different restaurant uh took over not they didn't take our name there were some really kind of odd things that happened uh, with that, but it's not really, it's not really germane, um, you know, to the story. I I have to say, though, that that, uh, as sad as it was to say goodbye to a place that you invested so much time and energy and love and care, I didn't miss the one o'clock in the morning phone calls from our our bar, bar manager or the staff, shift manager, you would never get a call at one o'clock that would say, hey, we had a record night or it was a great night. It was always a problem. Yeah, of course. It was always some really hair-raising difficulty. And so, yeah. uh, you know, when we, when we, when we, when we closed it, there was this real sense of ah uh, relief yeah. re- relief relief and you know i think i think my my body and mind and soul was very very appreciative to to, to get out from underneath that yeah. yeah so did this solve your back pain well you know i had i had that surgery back uh in 
year two, 2000. I, uh, so uh, that over time really proved to be incredibly helpful. And it did knock on wood. It was almost like a cure. So um, by the time I hit Stonehome, my back was in good enough shape that I could schlep cases of wine up and down the stairs. So if I did it carefully. Did you just say schlep? Yeah. Is it a word or is it, do you just use it? Uh, well, isn't it a Yiddish word or a German word? Schlepp? I mean, schleppen is German, yeah. Yeah, which yeah. means like carrying things. That's right. But Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> We use it here a lot. Schleppen. <laughs> nice. So what were the things uh, your staff called you, called you about in oh, 1 a.m.? Oh, they'd, they'd call uh, with the the point of sale service, the POS, you know, uh, is, is out. We can't process credit cards. Uh, water's leaking from the, yeah. from above. The sewer has backed up, uh, in the basement where the kitchen is. Um, the health department's just come in. Um, you know, just, just always problems. really just problems, yeah. problems, problems. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can I can remember the bar. I can remember John, mm -hmm. not in person, but I can remember his food. I mean, I, I can remember him in person, but what I remember most is his food, which was absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, at this moment in my life, when I came there, I mean, how old was I? Maybe 18? I think so. 19? I don't remember. But if I was not allowed to legally drink, which I remember, in the U.S., That's right, um, but I have a feel. I have a feeling, if memory serves me correctly, you went out with some staff members, and you were able to get. I think you went. You went to the Schwarze Kölner, the, yeah. the beer, the beer place, and I think that you had a few beers. I did. <laughs> holy, holy! I do, uh, <laughs> because because the next day you weren't feeling well, and it was so funny. This is what an eighteen-year-old does. You said, "Oh, I think I got food poisoning." Yeah, and I course. turned to Rose and I said, <laughs> "He had he got alcohol poisoning. He didn't get food poisoning." <laughs> yeah, somehow I connected to, I can't remember his name, but this big guy, the Kölner, the Schwarze Kölner. Oh yeah. Um, and he had a friend over, and they somehow realized I'm German. The day let me tr let me like try every beer they had, which. Like st strong, dark, whatever beer. I was completely not used to things like this, and it <laughs> was kind of let me, um, let's say, overwhelming. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I still remember. The only mm. thing I was able to do the next day is like get enormous, uh, this enormous big pizzas from the place around. Oh God! Uh, the corner. I don't remember the name, but this kind of saved me. But this was all, I guess. Yeah, but uh, the food from John. I've I've never tasted something like this uh at this moment in my life. Yeah, he's so far. Yeah. yeah. Well, mean, you know, it's amazing because as good as he was then, um he's gotten better and better. Yeah, and he's a private chef now in 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 New York City and uh it's incredible. It's amazing to watch this guy cook because I've seen him 
you know, on a six, six burner stove have six different things going on while he's chopping things up and doing all kinds of stuff. And he just turns around and he just got, it's this complete overview. Yeah. For me, if I get three going, that's my limit. Yeah. I prefer two. I actually yeah. prefer one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two I can handle, but it's like juggling. It's like he's juggling yeah. six ball, balls in the air. I know what you mean. If it, just talking about it is stressing me out. Yeah, well, he's got this calm, zen approach, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, lucky, lucky for you. Did he came in? You said he came in and, and, and he applied, right? We were so lucky. But yeah, he, we, there's this thing called Craigslist. And it's, it's if you want to hire people or you want to sell something. And he applied in this Craigslist. Craigslist and uh, we had no idea what we were getting into uh, with him, yeah. that it was going to be change the whole course yeah. of, of, of Stonehome. He was in his you know, early 20s and gone to cooking school and he'd worked uh, a, a couple of different uh, restaurants and, you know, we gave him a shot. Yeah. And boy. Yeah. And he returned. He sure did. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So this was like the end of your Brooklyn uh, era. Do you say era? It, it was the end of our Brooklyn era. We sold our, our brownstone that we purchased in 1990. I think sold that in 2015 or 16 and then moved up yeah. into the Hudson, Hudson Valley permanently. Nice. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, I don't think I have any more questions. Well, then until next time. Yeah, thank you very much, Bill. Have a great day. You too now. Bye-bye. Goodbye.